And a uh, matter of fact, the favorite stories about Jesus is found in Matthew 21. And a uh, matter of fact, the first sermon I ever preached here when I came in view of a call came from this story, from this passage. Uh, Jesus is it's the last week of Jesus' life before he is to be crucified on the weekend. And he and some of his disciples and his followers go to the temple to worship. And as they come into the temple gates, as they walk around the temple gates, uh, there inside the temple courts are tables set up, and there are people selling things. Uh, there are money changers there, and a money changer was simply someone who helped exchange money currency from wherever the Hebrews were coming from all over the region to, for Roman currency. And, but the sellers were there selling items to be used as a sacrifice for the Passover that was coming on that weekend. People would come in as pilgrims to worship, and as they came, they didn't bring items to sacrifice. They would buy them there. And Jesus got angry. Many of you know the story. Jesus lost his temper. Now, he didn't get mad because they were selling things. Uh, I've heard a lot of people use that in church to not sell things in church. I've had people tell me, you know, we can't sell CDs out there because Jesus is going to come and turn the tables over, you know. And that, that has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. See, the reason Jesus got angry was because they were taking advantage of people that had come into God's house to worship Him. What the money changers were doing is they were taking advantage of these people that needed their service and they were charging a higher price than needed to be charged. Uh, the people selling sacrifices were selling inferior sacrifices at the highest price possible. See, what Jesus got angry was, was that God's house was being abused. And he, he came in and he got to tables and he began to throw them over. He didn't just come and yell. He, he turned the tables over and he began to shout at them. The Bible says, my word says that God's house will be a house of prayer, but you are turning it into a den of thieves. Now you have to imagine those that were there were taken aback. Can you imagine the disciples standing around? Now I'm sure James and John and Peter, Peter was a hothead, so I'm sure he was like, yeah, show them what it's all about. But the rest of them, this was so different for Jesus. They've been traveling with him for three years, and this is the first time they'd ever seen him demonstratively show his anger. A lot of people read this story and they struggle with it because it sounds so out of character for what we know about Jesus. I mean, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come and cast your burdens on me, for my yoke is easy. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and meek. So how do you reconcile that idea of gentle and humble and meek with the picture of Jesus in the temple? Well, the problem comes because we don't understand what meek means. We don't understand what gentle means. We use the world's definition and try to imply it into the Scripture. You see, the world says meek is someone who is timid. The world says meek is someone who is shy. When you think of meekness, you think of weakness. You think of someone who is, who, who is reserved in nature, someone who is always nice. When you're describing someone who's meek, someone who is gentle, those are the characteristics you think of. That's why last week when I suggested at the end of the service that this week as we study meekness was going to be a perfect week for us to have college game day because I believe that a perfect college football player is someone who is meek. Most of the people in the audience laughed because they thought, how can a football player be meek? How can an athlete be someone to meek? Because we have taken that definition of the world and applied it to everything else in our life. But that's not how the Bible defines meek. 
You see, the way the Bible defines meek allows us to understand that what Jesus did in the temple was perfectly consistent with his character. And matter of fact, what he was doing when he was turning over those tables was him at his meekest, him at his gentlest. You see, as Jesus is describing his character in Matthew 5, in the passage we're going to read in a minute, for the Beatitudes... He understands that that nature and that character allowed him to quote from Psalms 11. Psalms 11 says, uh, The meek will inherit the earth, for they will be blessed. And so in Matthew 5, verse 5, as he's giving these beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the meek. Now, if you've been with us, you know that that idea of blessed, that blessed is happy, joyful. It's an internal joy. It's an internal happiness. It's something that can't be taken because of bad health or or bad finances or situations and circumstances not going the way you want. He says, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now when you hear that, just off the bat, just reading it just by its nature self, you begin to think, "That, that doesn't make any sense. Because that is exactly the opposite of the way the world thinks today. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's giving us another paradoxical statement. When you think of the meek, they are the last people you think of inheriting the earth. I mean, think about it. Who, who, who gets things? It's the strong. It's the powerful. It's the aggressive. It's the one who stands up and takes advantage of everyone else. Those are the people who inherit the earth. So how could Jesus be saying someone who is meek inherits the earth? Well, what he's doing is he's giving us a play on words to help us understand really what that Greek word means. And when you begin to see what Jesus is saying meekness is, you will understand how it fits in with inheriting the earth and how it fits in with the rest of these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You see, in the Greek language, the word that we use for meek, and some of your translations say gentle, is the the root word pros, which is P-R-A-U-S. And actually the word that's used in Matthew 5.5 is proates, which is an adjective to describe gentle or meekness. And in the Greek language, that word has four definitions, four ways that it's used. And each of those ways helps us to gather a little bit more what Jesus was saying when he said happy, blessed, joyful are the people who are meek. Now, before we jump into that definition, let me ask you, has anyone ever described you as being meek? Has anyone ever described you as being gentle? You see, as Jesus is describing here in Matthew 5 his character, he's also describing you and I that claim to be Christ followers. Because you see, if we are going to say, I'm going to follow Christ, I want to be who Christ has called me to be, then we have got to take on the same nature that he takes on, the same characteristics that he takes on. And if he says he is meek, and he says meekness is the way to inheriting the earth, then you and I are called to be meek. So let me just again ask you, are you meek? Are you gentle? In the Greek context, the definition, uh, first of all, it was, it was used as a virtue. The Greeks saw meekness as a virtue because it was someone who never lost their temper, but someone who was also even killed. They, they weren't off and always uh, wishy-washy and mealy-mouthed, but they also weren't hot-headed. They were in between. They were considered proates, m- meek. It was also used by doctors. Doctors, when they were giving medicine, would say, okay, if I give too much medicine, that's not good. Someone can get sick. If I don't give enough medicine, they're not going to get well. If I give just the right amount, it will soothe and heal them. The equal amount is proates. That is meek or gentle amount. It was also used to describe a wind that would blow off the coast that was calm and soothing. 
See, the ocean wind, when the ocean winds blow, some of you that have been at the Gulf Coast or over in Myrtle Beach, you know that when the winds pick up, they can be dangerous. It can destroy things. But a gentle, calming wind can soothe things. That was Proates, that gentle wind. But probably the most well-known definition, and the most that it's used, is to describe a wild stallion that has been broken. A wild stallion that has been tamed, that has allowed someone to put a bridle on and a bit in its mouth, and is now able to be controlled. That's where most people get their definition, and all of those things have one thing in common. It's describing something that is powerful in and of itself, but has allowed that power to be controlled for a greater purpose. You see, that is meekness. Meekness isn't timidity. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness isn't mealy mouth. What Jesus is describing is someone who is brought under the control or the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you come to follow Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Him, when you submit your will to Him, you're not saying, okay, now, you know, used to pictures of Christians were somebody who was timid and someone who was quiet. And so that, that's not what Jesus is calling you to. He's not calling you to change your personality. What He's calling you to do is to allow who you are, your strengths and your personality and, and all the things that you bring to the table to be put under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not about you anymore. It's all about Him when you start following Him. And someone who is meek is someone who has submitted every year of their life to the Holy Spirit and allows the Holy Spirit to control them. Your power has been channeled. William Barclay, who was a Christian scholar, described it this way. Someone who is meek is someone who has every instinct under control, has every passion under control, every impulse, every ounce of strength has been harnessed by God for God's purposes. The greatest definition that I could give you would be to say power under control. Matter of fact, I would love for you, and I've gotten in the habit, whenever I see meek in the Bible or even gentle, I automatically tell myself power under control. I bet if I was to ask Coach Ivy, Mark, who's a defensive coach at App State, if I was to ask, what's the perfect football player, what are the characteristics of a perfect football player? When you go recruiting, who are you looking for? He would say somebody that's strong, somebody that's powerful, somebody that's disciplined, somebody that's determined, but somebody that allows all those things to be under control for a purpose. Because, see, you can be strong. It doesn't do any good. You can be passionate. You can go out and have all the ability. But if it's not under control, if it's not used for a purpose, it's useless. That's meekness. That's who you and I are called to be. And for us as Christ followers, it fits in perfectly with the things we've been studying the last two weeks. Jesus said the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is, is us recognizing when we look at who I really am, not who we try to be in front of everybody at school or everybody at work or everybody, not that person, but the person who God sees me to be. When I really look at who I am and I look at who God really is, not this idea of the man upstairs or uh, Santa Claus in heaven or the God creator of the universe. When I begin to glimpse at him, I recognize that everything that I have is useless. Everything that I bring to the table, everything that I have, everything that I do, everything that I will do apart from God is bankrupt. It's spiritual bankruptcy. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And we learned last week that when you're poor in spirit, it will always lead when you begin to realize all that sin has done to you, all that sin has done to those around you, how sin has corrupted your friends, it's corrupted your marriage, it's corrupted uh, the world that we live in, all the wars and the poverty and all the consequences of sin, the, the disasters in this world. It drives us to a place 
of just being broken, spiritual brokenness. That's what he says, blessed are those who mourn last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit when you look at God and who you are. And, and as you begin to see that and see sin, it causes you to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, now, the way this works is when we focus on us in that poor in spirit, we mourn because we look at ourselves and think, man, I, I'm nothing apart from God. When we recognize, and that's the place all of, you can't be a Christian until you get to that place. Because, see, as long as you think you can bring something to the table, you're not ready for Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The only way you can become a Christ follower is when you leave it all behind and say, everything I've got to nothing. But when you focus on who you are and that nothing, it brings you to mourning. But when you begin to focus on who God is, when you begin to think about how great thou art as we sang last week, when you begin to think about all that he's done, when you begin to think about that he is everywhere, he knows everything, he controls everything, it will motivate you to allow him to be in control of your life. That's meekness. You see, it all works together. And, and the more you focus on who he is, and, and the more you say, God, take control. God, I've been trying to fix this relationship. God, I've been trying to, to fix this mess, and I've made a bigger mess because I don't know what I'm doing. But God, I'm going to let you take control of it. I'm going to put you in charge of my life. The more you do that, the more you will desire to know him better, hunger and thirst for his righteousness. But that's next week. He says meekness is a part, it's a natural progression of someone who is poor in spirit and someone who mourns. You and I need to understand that like these other two beatitudes, like poor in spirit and like mourning, you can't do meekness. You can't pretend to be meek. You can't work it up, meekness. You can't take what I'm going to say this morning and write a list and say, okay, I'm going to go home and this week I'm going to be gentle. It just doesn't happen that way. It must be produced by the Holy Spirit from inside out. The reason you and I struggle with meekness, let's be honest, we do. Because our culture beats down anyone who is meek. Anyone who allows their power to come under control, anyone who is not aggressive, anyone who is not striving to get their own way, anyone who is not out there saying, I deserve this and I want this and I get this, the world looks down on. And so we've been taught, we've been raised that it's all about me. You better go out and get it because if you don't go get it, nobody else is going to give it to you, right? Jesus says, no. The only way that you can be meek is by taking your hands off of it and submitting yourself to him and giving him control of every area of your life. You see, if you're not meek this morning, if you're not described as gentle, it's not because you hadn't worked hard enough. It's because you hadn't taken your hands off of it. You're still trying to control things. You want to know what you're trying to control? Look at what the opposite of meekness is. Because, see, the opposite of meekness are the characteristics that are in your life that you're not giving over to the Holy Spirit. So when you're in control, those things come out. When God or the Holy Spirit is in control, meekness comes out. Power under control. When someone is meek, everything is under control. It's not timidity, it's power. See, those who are meek are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're sensitive to what God is saying. It's not about you letting other people walk all over you. You see, that's what people think when they think about meekness. No, listen, meekness is about being angry and indignant over the right things instead of the wrong things. See, someone is meek. That's how Jesus at the temple can fit in. Do you understand that Jesus in his life never defended himself? Go and read the Gospels. When people spit on Jesus, he didn't get mad. I can't imagine it. 
When people cursed Jesus, he didn't stand up and say, listen, you don't know who I am. I'm the Son of God. When they mocked him, when they denied him, when they drove him down that road and nailed him to a tree and crucified him, he never defended himself. Even though when they came to arrest him, and I love it, in Matthew 26, they came to arrest him, and they had their swords out there in the garden, and Jesus said, listen, you can put your swords up. Do you not know that all I've got to do if I want is to call my father and he could send 12 legions of angels down here to take care of you? A legion is 6,000, so that's 72,000 holy angels could come down and wreak havoc on you if I wanted, but he didn't. But yet, in the temple... When these people are taking advantage of God's people, when these people are mocking this holy place, when they are abusing God's holy place, even when the religious leaders, when the religious leaders are trying to be spiritual about keeping the rules, what does Jesus do? He loses it. He never defends himself, but he gets angry. He gets indignant. He gets mad when the things that break God's heart are breaking his heart. See, that's what it means to be meek. It means to control yourself. Not your control, His control. It means to allow Him to be in charge of everything. Submitting ourselves to Him. You see, a meek person will always keep their head about them. They'll always use their anger and their energy for God's glory. And here's the key about someone who's meek. As they're in control, whenever God calls them to do something, to let out control, to show that anger, to show that righteousness, they are always ready to do it because they have submitted themselves to Him without hesitation. When God says, tell that person you love them, they don't have to say, well, I don't know if that was God. They do it because they are submitted and controlled by the Holy Spirit. When God says, ask that person to forgive you, they don't have to say, ah, I don't want to do that. You're going to laugh at me. What will people think about me? They don't think that because they've submitted themselves. So they're ready to say, yes, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. You see, the Bible says that that type of person is the one who is really happy. That type of person is the one who really experiences joy. So for the last few minutes, let me just help you understand what meekness really is. Because I want you to walk out of here understanding not just power under control, but what it looks like lived out. What it looks like when we go through our everyday, when, when we are living, this is how a meek person will live. This characteristic lived out. I'm going to give you a couple of characteristics. The first thing is, a meek person is always teachable. They're always teachable, or as you guys know, coach knows they're coachable, is what a coach would say. They have a teachable spirit. They're always willing to learn. They're always hungry. Someone who is meek is always willing to admit, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I'm I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. I can get better. That's what it means to be teachable. You hear coaches sometimes, you hear sports announcers talk about an athlete that is uncoachable. They may be stronger than everybody else. They may be faster than everybody else. They, They may have strength and more talent, and they just try to get by on it. But what happens is, as they get to higher levels, they can't do it anymore. Because in a team sport, those things are fine. But unless you're coachable, you can't work together. And so you see those people that are labeled uncoachable, they get moved from team to team to team, or they never make it. They, they blow out. You see, what God is saying is someone who is meek is always willing to say, I can learn more. I can do better. The greatest athletes in this world are great because they never get satisfied. They always feel they can do better. Let me ask you this. How would you have liked to have been 
Michael Phelps's swim coach after the London Olympics four years ago. I mean, what do you say to Michael Phelps? Four years ago, Michael's gold medal total was 18 gold medals with 22 total. And he comes out of the London Olympics as the greatest of all times. He had won more than anybody ever. What do you say? Michael, coast. You're going you're gonna to swim in Rio? Just, but you know what? His coach, I watched an interview of it last week at the Olympics. His coach said after a couple of years of Michael deciding whether or not he wanted to do it, when he said, I'm in, I'm going to Rio, do you know what he did? He devoted everything he had to training, to getting stronger, to getting better. You would think, he's the best. What does he have to work on? But he recognized that he needed to do better. He recognized that he needed to be stronger, that he needed to learn. He was teachable. He was coachable. He was meek because he was willing to learn. And and you guys know what happened. He won five more golds. Unbelievable. If he was the greatest of all times at that time, what do you call him now in the swimmer? 23 gold medals. Do you realize he broke a a world record in the Olympics that had been around for 2,000 years? I mean, just to put that in perspective, there are 150 other countries that were competing in Rio that he has more gold medals total than those countries do total in all their athletes and all their sports. I mean, to put it in an even better perspective in swimming, just to think about swimming, if you took Michael Phelps out of the United States and you had a nation called Michael Phelps and looked at the swimming gold medals of all times, Michael Phelps would be number two. Right behind the United States, right ahead of Australia. The nation of Michael Phelps has won more gold medals than every other nation except the United States of America. Why? Because he was coachable. Because he was teachable. Because he was willing to learn. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on, I strive to know more. I mean, we're talking about Paul. He wrote 13 books, 13 letters in this book. He wrote the book of Romans. You ever read Romans? That's Paul, and here he is saying, I don't have it figured out. I can still learn more. I can still grow. Meekness. Do you understand, as a Christian, the moment you get to a place where you say, I don't need to learn anymore, I don't need to grow, you don't just stop. You start going backwards. Because the world keeps moving forward. And God's still teaching you in every day and in every circumstance and in every situation when you submit yourself to Him. But the moment you get to the place of saying, I got it all figured out. I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I'm going to heaven anyway. It's the moment you stop listening. The moment you stop being teachable or coachable. And it's the moment you take control and get control back from God. You see, someone who is meek is coachable. Jesus is saying, happier the teachable. For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. For they will inherit the earth. A meek person is also loving, not judgmental. You see, a meek person always remembers who they are and where they come from. That's a huge problem for us today's church. See, most of us forget just where we were when Jesus found us. We forget what it was like to live in the pig trough. We think we're pretty spiritual. We think we're doing pretty good. So it's easy for us when we see somebody to blow it to judge them. It's easy for us when we see somebody make a mistake for us to say, I told you so, or did you hear what happened to so-and-so? But you see, a meek person doesn't do that because they want to pursue love. Romans 14.1 says this, Welcome with open arms any believer who doesn't see the things the way you see them, this message Bible, or says something that you don't agree with, even when it seems they are strong on opinion and weak in faith. 
Even when you hear somebody talking and they don't know what they're talking about and they're trying to talk about spiritual things, don't judge them. Recognize. He says, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Just because somebody's not as spiritual as you or as perfect as you doesn't mean you have a right to judge them. What about when somebody sins or somebody blows it? Galatians 5 says that we as the believers are to restore them gently, prouse, meekly. Why? Because they are God's children. You see, a meek person always works from the perspective of who they really are in God's eyes. So it doesn't allow them to get up on a high horse to start pointing fingers and looking at everybody else. Blessed are those who love, for they will inherit the earth. A meek person will act instead of reacting. See, a meek person can't react because they allow the Holy Spirit to control them. You see, a meek person will never lose their temper because how can you lose something that you don't have control over? A meek person will never lose their stuff and get mad. and ain't. Why? Because you're not in control anymore. You gave control over to the Holy Spirit. How can you lose something that you don't even control? What happens when things don't go the way you want? What happens when people hurt you? What happens when someone stabs you in the back? How do you respond? Well, the Bible says in Romans 12 that we do not need to repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. James says we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to grow angry. You see, a meek person doesn't allow what other people to do to cause them to react. You give, you, see, when, when you lose your temper, when you say things that you don't want to say, when you blow up in a situation or circumstance, when you want to get somebody back, listen, the whole world's going to tell you, you've got a right to get them back. And it even feels good to pay them back. Doesn't it even feel good that, that, that way that I'm going to get up on them or one up on them? The moment you begin to do that, you decide that you know best, and so you take control back from the Holy Spirit, and you do it on your own. You see, we're called to... Listen to the Holy Spirit and act accordingly. See, the meek person, when something doesn't go their way, when they don't get what they want, instead of reacting, they take a breath, they take a step back, and they ask the Holy Spirit to get involved in the situation. Why? Because he's in charge. I'm not in charge. See, Rusty would blow up. Rusty would yell. Rusty would throw things. Rusty would speed his car up and swerve and knock them off the road because they're from Florida and they don't need to be up here driving that way. Nothing against you Florida people. That's what Rusty wants to do. Every time he's on 321. But the Holy Spirit says, you're not in control, Rusty, I am. You see, the moment you react, you take control from the Holy Spirit, and you know who you give it to? You give it to that person that's causing you to act that way. You're giving them control over your life. That's only the Holy Spirit's role. A meek person will always act and not react. They're coachable, they're teachable, they're, they're content, they're patient. And lastly, a meek person is always understanding and never demanding. See, a meek person always understands where they come, where they line up. See, someone who's not meek, they think because I and more important, or because I'm faster or stronger or smarter or have more money, I, I deserve more recognition. A meek person says, it's all about God getting the glory, not me. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2 from the Message Bible. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. 
Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to help others. Think of yourself the way Christ thinks of himself. So I wonder how many times we want to be first. How many times we want to be on the top. How, how many times we always got to win. How many times we got to be the one that, that picks the right line at Walmart, right? I mean, what happens when you're in the long line at Walmart and the checker next to you opens up and a guy behind you zooms over in front of you and goes to that checker? Now you're saying, preacher, stop meddling. That's not what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> is it not? You see, a meek person says, what's it matter? Why is it so important? I'm not in control. See, a meek person says, I have been crucified with Christ. That means my desires, my wishes, me wanting to be right, me wanting to win, me wanting to be first, it's dead. I no longer live, Galatians 2.20 says. Christ now lives in me. And the Christ that lives in me is trying to produce gentleness and meekness. Why? Because in those things, that's where you find true happiness. That's where you find real joy. In a place where you can be content. In a place where you understand that it doesn't matter. God's in control anyway. See, I wonder in our lives, I wonder in your life, how much stress and heartache and pain and hurt has come from you thinking you had to have all the answers, from thinking you had to be right all the time, from thinking that you had to be first, from reacting in anger, from judging other people and putting other people down. You see, Jesus promises a place of peace, a place of happiness, a place of joy for those who pursue meekness. So let me ask you again, are you meek? You see, he ends this whole thing with, with something that I said at the first doesn't even make sense. He says, the meek will inherit the earth. You see, we, we're trained to think that the strong inherit the earth. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that the meek and those that are gentle will not only get to enjoy abundant life here by being happy and by being at peace and by being blessed, but you also will get to enjoy the life hereafter. You see, he's reminding us. Here's, here's Jesus reminding you. See, sometimes it looks like the bad guys are winning. Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like those who cheat and those who lie and those who steal are always getting blessed and always getting ahead? Have you ever felt that way? Man, I'm doing everything right, God, and, and, and I, I'm trying to, to live the way you want, and it just doesn't seem to be working out. It's not maybe working out according to the world's standards, but what Jesus is saying is, listen, it may look like they're winning now, but there is coming a day when the meek are going to come marching in. Because you are the ones who God has ordained to control and rule. The meek inherit this earth and the one that is in to come. You see, what Jesus is promising, and it may seem like those who live meekness, who live mournfully, who live uh, broken in spirit, spiritually bankrupt it may seem like they have nothing but in reality they have everything jesus says happy and joyful are those who totally submit their will their heart and their way to the control of the holy spirit because it will produce meekness blessed happy joyful are the meek the gentle 
the patient, the content, the kind, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray.